0: and as someone who believed in what we were doing and the category you know I had a long lens and I was looking at where we were at and I was saying you know what we have a product today and you know to to really win in like five years the product needs to look a lot different.
1: This is the What Works Podcast and I'm your host, Tara McMullen. If you want to build a business that can stand the test of time, you need to figure out what works for you and your small company. That's why every week I talk with real small business owners about what's really working for them. I want to help you fill in all the details of how others do what they do so you can fill in the details that work for you. My guest this week is the co-founder and CEO of FreshBooks, Mike McDermott. Mike started building FreshBooks in 2003 after he accidentally saved over an invoice. He spent three and a half years growing FreshBooks from his parents' basement. And since then, over 10 million people have used FreshBooks to save time billing and collect billions of dollars. Now, while FreshBooks might be big today, it has its roots in small business. What worked for Mike as he developed the product and transitioned away from a service-based small business could inspire you to see new possibilities for your own small company. I chat with Mike about how he made the transition from a design and marketing firm to a software business, what worked for funding his new venture, how FreshBooks built a new version of their software by pretending to be a competitor, and how their product development process has changed over time. Now, let's find out what works for Mike McDermott. Mike McDermott, Welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thanks for having me, Tara.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So it seems like the FreshBooks story has sort of two major inflection points, and I'd love to get into both of them today. And those points are sort of your transition from design firm principal to FreshBooks founder, and then again, the complete rebuild of FreshBooks as a product. And since so many small and growing businesses face kind of similar points in their own stories, I'd love to concentrate on those two aspects of how FreshBooks has sort of come to be. So let's start off by setting the stage. Can you tell me the moment that you knew you needed a better billing solution for your design firm?
0: Yes. Um, I had just done something and was upset. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was the moment. So, um, you know, the story goes, and it was, I can still remember it, and it's over a decade ago now, but I, I saved over an invoice. I was using Word and Excel to bill my clients, and... Um, uh, I Basically, <laughs> I opened up an old Word document that I'd already put their address in, right? Because you don't want to do that every time. And uh, put in the new information and I saved over the file. And uh, but, like I put in the new information and I, I just, I, I clicked save and I didn't do save as, right? So I, I basically, I lost the old one, I had the new one. And because I lost the old one, I was just like, you know, this is just so broken, so frustrated. There's got to be a better way to do this. And uh, I was running a small agency, helping people build their websites and getting into sort of application development. And so I said, hey, why why don't I build something? I built a simple thing to to build my clients. And that was uh, I really just built for my own uh, own needs at first. And and we kind of went from there.
1: Awesome. I love that moment of frustration as the moment of kind of creativity, too, or that, that breaking point that you needed to find a more creative, more innovative solution. Um, so I know that you kind of bootstrapped the beginning of FreshBooks from the revenue from this design firm uh, that you had been running. Can you tell us about how that happened? What was the process behind raising the funds that you needed yourself to actually get this company off the ground?
0: Yeah. So um, I, as I say, I was I was running this small agency and we had a focus on serving small businesses and helping them build websites and really do their internet marketing. So, you know, this is kind of early 2000s and people didn't know how to get customers from the internet. So we helped them with that. Um, so we're doing that. Uh, saved over the invoice, and and so the point of all that is, I had clients and I had revenue, and it was really uh, interesting because it was just me when I, I saved over that invoice, and I had some subcontractors. Uh, over the next couple of years, I actually built a bit of a staff who worked on on that agency as I actually spent more and more of my time working on on FreshBooks. And so what I had been able to do, and I think this is hard for some folks, but I would just been able to build a firm. Uh, And I built it in such a way that I just got a a lot of time back. I would I would help curate the work of my team members um, and, you know, push them to do as much of the client engagement work as I can, because that was the one thing I felt like I still was involved with and should be. But I, I wanted to just be like showing up to the meetings and grooming work um and then otherwise I was literally pretty quickly I was like 80% of my time going to working on this project on the side that had no revenue for multiple years to, you know like we were making 100 dollars a month after 2 years so uh the rest of things were really being uh you know sort of financed by a couple people who um who, who were working on the agency kind of that was helping me sort of subsist uh, and um, and they when they got extra time we put it into this thing and so that that was the that was the dynamic I, we can spend more time there but that was the high level that were like kind of that's something of what it looked like.
1: Gotcha, okay, so then I imagine at some point you had to make a conscious decision to put your focus and your resources in terms of the profit that your firm was generating toward building out fresh books. Um, what did that decision making process look like? Was there a moment when you realized, no this uh, this is what I'm going all in on?
0: Yeah, so here's how we thought about it. Um, uh, and you know, it's kind of. It's not as clear cut as as that as you know so few things really are when you look back at them um, right. so what what we did was i again I pretty swiftly was more interested in trying to figure out this product company thing, and so I swung you know the majority of my time to working on on this thing, and I had my firm and the people employed there who were you know effectively paying for their salaries and 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 paying for some of mine. What was interesting about that over time was Uh, You know, I started working towards having them be less full (laughs) in terms of their utilization, if you will. And uh, what that meant was when they had downtime, I think of this this guy, Jeff, who's still with us today as a designer developer at FreshBooks. He would have some days, like a whole day to be able to spend on this side project. Right. And so that's kind of how we financed it without being explicit about it. We would, uh, you know, we would have that company running. We were paying those employees, but more and more of their time was working towards, you know, downtime towards the the side project. And it would spin up when we had a client deliverable, and then, and then, you know, that was kind of ebb and flow, ebb and flow. And then, then when the the, you know, we started to get some more predictable revenue, and you know, we had one founder kind of buy in, and I had a, you know, my mom wrote like a ten thousand dollar check, and brother-in-law wrote like a fifty thousand dollar one. The the we were able to stay, start saying, okay. I, uh, you know, let's start firing our clients, right? (laughs) You know, uh, and the nature of client work is you're not always working with them. So as they'd come back to us and say, we'd like to do more or often in advance of that, we'd start saying, hey, listen, we got to help you find a new home because we're not going to be able to help you going forward because we're starting to focus on this other thing. And so that was kind of how that, uh, you know, sort of looked in reality.
1: Gotcha. Okay, well, that makes that makes a ton of sense. All right, so let's look now at uh, one of your more recent inflection points, <laughs> which is kind of rebuilding the the FreshBooks product and and how you decided on that process. So. Uh, I was kind of doing my research and reading back into how it came to be that you realized there was something broken, something problematic about how the product had developed to that point. What was going on inside of FreshBooks that clued you in to the fact that things needed to change with the product itself?
0: Um, Well, I'll start off by saying it it wasn't the customers, right? Our, Our customers were actually very happy. Um, and so, you know, in some respects, that becomes one of those things where it's like, well, why would you, you know, if they broke, don't fix it. But, uh, you know, I, I think as a founder and as someone who believed in what we were doing and the category, um, you know, I had a long lens. And I was looking at where we were at and I was saying, you know what, um, we have a product today. And, you know, to, to really win in like five years, the product needs to look a lot different, right? So I was trying to reconcile those two things in my head. And what we had was, and sort of leading up to some of this as well, was we had our, our software development team saying, hey, listen, um, you know, we have <clears throat> software here that was built by people who weren't really savvy <laughs> about building software. Uh, you got right. the job done. You got customers, you built something people love, which is actually the most important thing. But, you know, there's a lot of the stuff we'd like to rework. And in our case, um, in our category, what, what had happened is the world had changed a lot. And so user experience expectations people had were were, were pretty different than when we started out. And, you know, just to, I, I like to use the example of, you know, smartphones weren't there when we started. And we had actually built uh, smartphone apps that were award winning uh, for, for the FreshBooks Classic product. Um, but, uh, you know, now people expected to click a button and have a car show up at their door or a meal. And that that kind of thing just did not exist when we started out. And so recognizing that, you know what, there's new technologies available that can help us go faster. There's a even greater premium on user experience that had been our success thing, but actually our technology was gonna be limiting us there. And I think that, that was the crux, was our business, like to get into software speak for a little while, I'll try and make it accessible to everybody. <clears throat> Our, our our customer experience, our user interface, the people use the product with, had software code that was intermingled with with business logic. And the consequence of that is there was no straightforward way to separate the two um, you know, on any reasonable time frame, And so it, it kind of led us down a path of, of rewriting the whole thing instead of trying to extricate the two parts and then gradually kind of come up with a new uh, interface. Um, so... Yeah, so so then we we're there. It's like, okay, well, are we gonna rewrite the whole thing? And man, that is a, a scary place to be.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So you, I love that you pointed out that this awareness that things needed to change didn't come from the customers because the customers were happy. And I think that's probably the first place any uh, business owner would start is like, okay, well, my customers are happy. That must mean nothing is wrong. And I love that you had, like you said, had a long enough lens to realize that things needed to change if you were going to win in the future, not just win right then in that moment. Um, so that means that this this impetus for change came internally. It came from your vision and it came from people on your team who were looking at you know looking at the code like you said and looking at the technology and saying this isn't this isn't going to work for much longer. Is there something that you've done or is there something about the culture that you're building or have built at Freshbooks that allows for that sort of internal Examination of your product, your product development, your business strategy—that um, that encourages people to speak up around those kinds um, of things.
0: Uh, you know, great, great question. And you know, sometimes, you know, I, I don't know. Having never worked anywhere else, I I, I don't know. But <laughs> um, the the way I think about it is 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 we built a, a strong culture. Uh, on a on a value set that we call Porchfest. And that's an acronym for our, our nine values. And we have an invisible tenth one, but that's another another story. So uh, so we have these nine values and, and among those are you know things like uh, honesty, which you know, it's not so much the word that matters; it's how you define it. Which is, uh, uh, we're straightforward and we communicate directly, right? And so, I, I guess inside the building, we value people just speaking their minds, right? Doesn't need to have a lot of drama associated with it. Let's just, let's just, what are you thinking? Let's benefit from that. And so, um, you know, that that was a piece. And then, you know, I'll say projects just took longer to deliver, and you know, were harder. And I sometimes saw the team, you know, avoid doing things they wanted to do because the obstacles just seem so great given the state of the technology. And so that's a bad place to live. So I had these as kind of indicators inside the building through observation. But I'll say, you know, decisions like this that are nonlinear and, and really put, you know, they're kind of existential for a business because most of the time projects like this fail, mm-hmm. right? They they don't finish, you know, they don't succeed. We actually tried a couple times before we were successful for what it's worth. So this wasn't our first kick at the can. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the, the, you take all those things and you say like, it, it's an intuitive, uh, thing that leads you to a decision of this gravity and, you know, you're never going to be able to really rationalize it. <laughs> That's the, like, you can't write a business case for it. You can't write a project plan neither one of those things will be anywhere close to the truth. You just have to decide and then figure out how to make it happen.
1: I love that. Sometimes what works is not what is rational <laughs> and, and not certainly not what is linear. Okay, so I want to come back to uh, this not being your first attempt, but I want to first focus on the attempt that actually was successful and and the fascinating story behind it um, and the really unusual strategy, technique, tactic that you use to prove out whether this new iteration of FreshBooks was going to work. Can you tell us the Bill Spring story?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so I didn't think about how to frame all this stuff. So you know why now that we thought about doing this, then, you know, the question became is like, well, okay, if we're going to do it, you know, wh- what does success look like? Um, you you got to figure that out because just a, you know, a shinier thing with prettier buttons doesn't really cut it. And, you know, I, I will say, you know, I'll double down and say, you know, what a success in terms of progress. But you know I've seen lots of software projects that like in the next version, it just gets worse. Right. Mm-hmm. Like think about Windows XP to Windows Vista. Like that was not an improvement. Right. Um, there's lots of operating system upgrades that you might get on your smartphone that, you know, really. You know, are kind of frustrating and not not a step forward. So, so we're very mindful of that. Hey, if we're going to build this thing, what does it need to be? And so we set out, um, you know, two things. One is like we had some lofty kind of elements of a, a vision that were sort of secret to us and our long term interests and uh, strategic. And then and then we actually had some more numerical things and, and went through a list. Like, you know, one thing that's obvious to me is if we're going to do this the business performance needs to be at least as good, actually, ideally superior, right? So let's, you know, let's, let's think about that. And how would we figure that out? And, um, uh, you know, when you think about something like that, then you get to be like, well, how do you measure it? Because most of these replatformings, they go off in a corner and then one day you flip a switch and, you know usually all all heck breaks loose right so so we had this problem right. of well how how are we going to figure out if it's it's a better experience for people uh and and know that sort of conclusively from a, a business results standpoint we had a, a variety of other considerations and what it basically led us to is like okay well <clears throat> how do we test it before it's live right like that's you know a classic software thing to do you want to test and iterate before before it's live but you know I was also thinking, like, geez, we're doing this to build something that's a step change for us in our business that helps us, you know, move faster and, and get ahead of competition. And if they're able to just watch us work along at this the whole time, because we have like a beta site up or we're testing out a new platform, I, I feel like, you know, that's not very helpful. It's not very stealthy, and we don't get the benefit of, of being ahead. <clears throat> so, um, you know, you take those considerations and a few others. And we looked at like test launching it in a market we weren't busy in. And, you know, one weekend I came back from, uh, you know, spending some time uh, doing a proverbial walk in the woods. And and I was like, hey, I got a crazy idea. What if we build and create a fake company with a fake brand and we compete with ourselves? We, we launched the new fresh books there with no connection to us today and we build it there and we monitor its performance there and we see what happens and if and when it's ready to become our new thing then we move it over but you know what until then like forget it it's you know until it's until it's business performance like there's no sense in that uh, and so that's what we did um, uh, we, we we created a company called Billspring, had its own logo its own website its own articles of incorporation and we use that as a petri dish And I I think that was a very important thing. And we can talk about this. But, uh, you know, I think I've learned a lot about innovation and, you know, developed some opinions around, uh, you know, I kind of think of it as like a big company word. And I think it's usually like big companies who are not very good at it. And, you know, I I learned a bunch of lessons around, oh, geez, I can kind of see why now. Right. Uh, Because, you know, for example, if you... Live in an existing company, you're laboring under a concept of what your brand is today. And so there's certain things you can and can't do. And so you can't launch like a half big thing or take major, major risks. And I really wanted our team to be able to take risks. So one of the other considerations was need to be able to take risks, major risks. And uh, having a different brand afforded us uh, that, 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 you know, that, that petri dish, that, that um, environment and set of conditions where we could we could take big risks, we could prove out whether it worked or not and know that it was definitively better and not like a, you know, a terrible second album from a band you loved on the first one, right? Like that's, these were all the, you know, the dynamics at play. And so uh, yeah, Bill Spring and creating a, a, a secret company to compete with ourselves worked. And, you know, then one day somebody called up and said, I'd like to cancel my FreshBooks account. I'm moving to Bill Spring. And we, we were, <laughs> uh, we were there. That
1: is so awesome. I'm absolutely fascinated and so excited by this story. And, you know, I think for listeners, if, if they're excited by the idea but it, maybe it doesn't make sense for their business maybe you know because they're a business of one they they couldn't apply something like this i think the real takeaway here is exactly what you said about kind of realizing the burden of your existing brand realizing the burden of your existing suite of products or offers and the more you can become aware of the decisions that you're making that you're only making because of what you've done before or how things are currently set up or the the current resources that you have. Even if you can't go out and form a brand new company, maybe you can at least become aware of where your history is directing your future instead of your future directing what you're doing right now. Um, And I think that's a huge, huge takeaway. So as you said, you, you mentioned that there were a couple of previous attempts at reworking the product, at you know, creating something that was a little bit more future focused, technology wise. What was it about uh, this attempt, uh, you know, the the building the whole new company, building a brand new product, that worked in terms of discovering the direction that you needed to go? What was what was what the product actually needed to be that didn't work in the previous attempts?
0: Um, I'll say, you know, two things, but it's primarily one. Uh, I think some of those early uh, efforts became enablers, right? So um, we had done some things piecemeal that improved the likelihood of success on this try, right? So uh, we wrangled down parts of our, you know, technology into to better shape. It just wasn't you know, a complete, uh, complete, complete improvement. So, so those things, you know, some of those we still run on and use today. So we've kind of, there was a piecemeal part to this prior to this, you know, sort of major, you know, rewrite. Um, so that was one thing, but I'd say that's the lesser, I, I think the bigger thing was, you know, frankly, leadership. Um, you know, we had, uh, we, you know, we had a leader who figured out how to like, I'm going to just put a team in the corner for a little while. And, you know, he, he was very good about dictating like, Mike, they're going up there, and you're not allowed to talk to them. <laughs> and uh, and that that was okay. I was I was like, okay, great. Uh, and he was like, here's the here's the timeline and the time frame. You are going to talk with them, and they had gates that we were like, you know, we use those gates as like your your project dies if you don't clear the gate. And so that created a lot of urgency inside the team, and uh, took a lot of you know, like it wasn't like. You know, people wanted to work on this project. Right. So there was that was good. And then it was like, how do you unleash them? And so we used these like gates and milestones that they had to go through. And I would love to tell you, we knew what all those were at the start of the project, but we almost had to make them up milestone by milestone <laughs> as we collected more information. And, uh, you know, so, so I became the specter of did you clear the gate or not uh, in the earliest days? And then we got to like data and measurement later. Um, and, and also the, like, you know, the person who's sitting outside of the team working on the stuff being like, uh, you know, uh, trying to unburden people of some of those, those things they are unwittingly carrying with them because they're part of the brand and the company that they're a part of.
1: Gotcha. That makes a ton of sense. Um, what did you learn from this process that you still use in terms of improving the product today? Cause I'm sure you're still working on improving the product, right? So what what yeah. is it, uh, what have you carried with you from that huge experiment into something that maybe is a little more iterative today?
0: Yeah. So I think the first version of our product, um, I'll say, hey, I was more heavily in, involved with and, you know, sort of building in the earliest days. Like we moved into my parents' basement for three and a half years and, you know, it was like kind of reviewed everything before it went out. In uh, the second version, we found a more scalable way to, to build product that was, you know, very much involving customers. We, used, you know, we engaged over 2000 people as we built up the new, new FreshBooks with various you know, we didn't like doing user testing and customer on-site interviews and all these kinds of things to, to really do that. And so that, that whole process of, you know, doing both generative research and, um, you know, uh, involving customers and validating various things along the way has been something that we have kept. And, uh, I think that, that, that has been, you know, and now, now it runs and someone like, you know, it's not relying on any one person anymore.
1: Gotcha. Okay, so as we start to start to wrap things up, I've got a couple of questions left for you, and one is just kind of to cycle back to where we started. Um, the The digital marketing firm, the design firm that you initially uh, had founded, is probably not all that different from what a lot of our listeners uh, do on a day to day basis. They're working in small companies with with teams of contractors, maybe small teams of employees, um, and maybe they look at at a company like FreshBooks and they think, man, I'd love to have something like that. I'd love to build something like that, but I wouldn't know the first thing about leading a company like that. What were some of the resources or what have been some of the resources or relationships or networks that have guided you to figuring out how to run a company like FreshBooks?
0: What 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 uh, gives you so much confidence I've figured that out? <laughs> uh. Right. Uh, Yeah. So I, uh, you know, you're right. It's it's a very scary thing um, if you actually know what you're getting into. The kind of thing that's so scary, I think it would stop people. But, but I'd also say, you know, perhaps one of the most rewarding things has been uh, the forced learning curve as a leader. I've had to go on to figure out the rest of this stuff. and so uh, I, I will say that has been a huge part of all of this. And, um, you know, I think the things that have helped me along the way are, first of all, you know, a passion for what we're doing and why we do it, you know, to, to, to have the will to, to change not only the business, but to change myself. Uh, to keep up with it, right? Because uh, I, I felt it was important enough what we were doing to to change me. And then I started to find that was a positive feedback loop because it was positive growth and development. Uh, to, to surround, you know so and then I, this is really who you surround yourself with. And so had some formative kind of entrepreneur advisor people who um, you know, t- took a shine to me and uh, you know, kind of showed me, how to think about some of this stuff. Well, you know, like it's it's a pretty squishy job that of entrepreneur, right? And so you need mm-hmm. sounding boards and people to call late at night because you're like wrestling with something. And so I sort of had a, created a bit of a stable of those folks. And then, uh, you know, in, in later years, it's also who you hire, right? And so I look at my executive team as people to tell me, you know, not tell me what to do is not the right way, but like I go to them with questions I don't know the answer to right? Um, And they've seen things before because they've lived this movie a couple times before in some cases, and they offer guidance to me, right? And so I think the team starts to become, but by the way, like you're probably not hiring those people early on. So you're back to your advisor network, uh, you know, podcasts, uh, and just, you know, lots of walks, you know, at night where you're trying to not only, you know, when you're innovating, you're trying to do away with the brand and some of those unknown constraints you're imposing on yourself. I think uh, personal growth and development is a lot the same. And so, uh, you know, weekends would be spending rethinking how I'm looking at something, how I'm looking at myself, how I need to behave differently as a leader at this stage. All of that stuff, uh, you know, uh, is, you know, a continuous, ongoing, you know, thankless and hard work kind of project.
1: Gotcha. What's next for Fresh Books? Are you guys working on anything big that you can tell us about?
0: Uh, As a rule, that 10th value of uh, secrecy and stealth would would suggest that I wouldn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think some things that are are worth sharing, I don't know if your audience knows what we do, but uh, ridiculously easy to use invoicing and accounting. Uh, What makes us different is we just serve service-based businesses, folks who get paid for the time and expertise. Really, if you invoice, you you need fresh books. And so um, we have, uh, you know, built up the business with an extraordinary attention to customer experience, both product and and service. Um, And uh, we... I think have built up a reputation, especially in a lot of people who work for themselves and like have no employees, but we have lots of employees using us. And so uh, employee driven businesses, so serving a lot of agencies and things like that. And so we've recently relaunched a whole bunch of uh, accounting backend capabilities that if you're familiar with FreshBooks, you may not be aware of like a GL and a chart of accounts. And uh, we've done it in a way that you don't need to know about those things if you don't want them, but if you want them, they're there. Um, and uh, you know, we're doing a bunch of things to help firms and agencies uh, continue to work. So those are things that were, are underway and you can, you can see in market. But if you've known us for a while, you may not be aware of the new capabilities. And that's been the benefit of building a new platform.
1: Awesome. Actually, I'm going to ask you one more question if you've got time, which is about this uh, value around stealth and secrecy, because I find that really fascinating in a world where we're seeing a lot more startups trend towards transparency. Can you maybe just shed a little bit of light on that why you value that that stealth piece more than the transparency piece or or maybe maybe not that it's not that you value it more but why you choose to operate in that mode rather than like a full on transparency mode
0: Got it So I think uh it's important to know that uh, because we are stealthy we can actually be transparent inside the building mm. So I think you know if you worked at Freshbooks uh, there may be some companies on the edges that disclose more, but, you know, we're actually quite, you know, we're, I'd say people who are quite transparent. Uh, and if, you know, you, you feel like you're not, if you ask, you'll get an answer and walk away with like, oh, I guess I just didn't, you know, ask. Um, so so I think, and 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 it's because we don't share stuff, like we don't share any financials, we don't do any forward-looking statements, and we don't share anything you know we believe is strategic or working well, right? So I think that the those things are important today because you know there is literally uh, somebody whose job is to wake up every day and stalk me on the internet and report back to HQ at uh, competitors I have. So it's pretty weird, right? And so if you're going to get any benefit from doing something um, new, like you're only going to have a, a, a an ever-shrinking time window. Uh, to do that. And so I think, you know, stealth matters for that reason. I also think stealth matters because, um, uh, you know, I I think customers, like if you tell them you're going to do something and then you do it, you don't get as many points for like the day they log in and they're like, Oh, I didn't even know this was coming. That's so exciting. It's surprise Mm. and delight, something you get from stealth. And then I had one other thing for you, uh, which is, I, I think, you know, again, back to maybe culture, Um, And I think there's a bunch of dimensions to this, but I think feeling like there's something that's yours and not everybody else's is actually important. Right. Um, And and so I, I think that notion of, hey, there's information that we have. That, you know specific to us and how we run the business and how we help serve customers. Um, I, I think knowing that that's like our little secret is kind of a fun thing that, that it brings you into, you know, being a, more a part of, of what we're doing in the mission at FreshBooks. And, and there's lots of stuff we disclose. So it's not like, uh, um, you know, you're, you're totally hands tied on any of this stuff, but uh, I, I do think it's, it, actually helps foster a sense of belonging for for Freshbookers.
1: I love that. And you have just given me a lot to think about. So I'm really excited about that. Mike McDermott, thank you so much for kind of shining the light on how your business has changed over the years, what's working for you right now. Um, And just thank you for a really great conversation. Thanks for having me. Find out more about FreshBooks and Mike McDermott at FreshBooks.com. What Works is brought to you by Co-Commercial. Every question you have about your small business is a lesson someone else had to learn the hard way. What if you could learn directly from the people who have already figured it out so you could skip the trial and error, the hours of research, and the heartache they went through to get answers? At Co-Commercial, that's exactly what you can do. We give you access to a support network of hundreds of small business owners who generously share their experiences, expertise, and hard lessons learned. We give you a one-stop shop for all your small business questions, whether you need to know about hiring a new team member, launching a new product, managing your time, or perfecting your messaging. CoCommercial helps our members save loads of time, fill in the gaps in their education, and start lifelong business relationships. Don't wait another day to become a member. Here's what happens when you apply for membership. First, you tell us what goal you're working towards and where you're struggling. Next, a member of our team personally reviews your application and any questions you have about membership. Then you receive an email with personalized recommendations for how to start your membership and ideas for making your first post so you can get support as quickly as possible. Once you're in, our team continues to support you whenever you need help. Most of our members get more than the value of the membership fee in just 45 minutes per week ready to join? Go to co-commercial.co and apply for membership. There's no risk to you. Applying is free. And once you join, if you're not impressed with the quality of support and depth of conversation at Co-Commercial in the first 30 days, we'll refund your membership fee. To apply for membership, go to co-commercial.co. That's co-commercial.co. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medias and edited by Marty Seefeld. Kristen Rundvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.